and welcome back to Fully Equipped Podcast. I am one part of the hosting crew, Ryan Brath, and I'd like to welcome my co-host to the show this week, Gene Parente and Chris McCormick. How are we doing today, guys? Good, sir. Doing Good. Well. Doing awesome. well. Doing well, thank you. Our uh, our other co-host, Jonathan, is uh, currently down in Memphis. I know they had um, some weather this uh, week, and he's covering some gear, so you can check out uh, all of his coverage from the, the first playoff event of the FedEx Cup over at golf.com. Now, before we get into this week's topics, obviously talking the FedEx Cup and a lot of other things, we want to let you know that Fully Equipped is brought to you by Fujikura and the Fujikura Ventus line, which has which is the most played shaft on the PGA Tour for two straight seasons. And they just released their all-new TR line, expanding it with the black and red profiles. Uh, now, with this, what this does, the TR line, and with this expansion, what it, it adds more uh, fitting opportunities for golfers who are looking for either higher launch, lower spin, or something that's a little bit more stable. And the TR line across the board is add stability compared to the Ventus line. The Ventus line was already an extremely stable product. As you saw, you know, referencing the PGA tour was an extremely popular golf shaft in the bags of some of the world's best players. And the TR just builds on that legacy by adding more stability with your drivers and fairway woods. Now, like with anything else, and you know, we definitely encourage us on the show. If you are looking to try the new TR line or something from the Ventus line, make sure you go and find a fitter the Fujikura account out there. And I know that, uh, you know, popular place to do that, Chris, would be uh, TrueSpec. Absolutely is. We uh, we are actually in the process of building up all of the TR demos and getting those into our matrix. So we're going to have a really good sample of the, the red, the blue, and the black available for people to test out. And for the uh, the fast swingers out there, that new TR black is every bit as stable as you could possibly want. But with that new profile, they managed to still incorporate some pretty good feel and feedback into that shaft. So it gives you that low launch, low spin characteristic, but still good amount of feel and feedback. I think it's going to be a winner coming out this uh, this year. Very cool. All right, so let's kick off the show. We are talking FedEx Cup playoffs. And you know, they're playing in Memphis this week. One of the things that's always generally very hot and humid I think one of the things that a lot of players are going to really focus on as they gear up is because of these softer conditions that we're going to see. We've seen some incredible amounts of rain already is carry distance with their driver. And what is, what would be the, the most important element when it comes to like maximizing carry, Chris, are we talking, do you want to change settings in some cases, depending on the, on the course, if it's not that, if you know, it's not gonna be that windy, basically the complete opposite of the open championship. Or do you just encourage players to maybe hit up on it and not think so much about the wind? I mean, essentially, if it is soft conditions out there, if we're looking at windy and soft or you know, rainy and soft, the, the easiest way to max out that carry is just bump that static loft. So, I mean, trying to find a shaft and head combination that does give you that high launch, low spin characteristic to maximize carry potential, because what we land in is always a constant changing variable. And if the turf conditions out there are soft, then, I mean, just hitting the high bomb that, uh, that basically carries as much as possible, that's the way to go. So I always look at, uh, let's just loft it up and don't change anything with player. I got a, I got a question for you, Chris, on that. Um, in regard to that, when, you know, you're talking and fitting uh, tour players, will they talk about, playing the ball forward in certain conditions to try to maximize carry I, you know, more positive attack angle, or do they just, do they just, it's that spooks them and they want more just to have their same swing and do an equipment change to kind of uh, provide, you know, similar um, results. And it really kind of depends on the player, honestly. I mean, there's some guys out there that are just so in tune with their swing that, I mean, they may, bump ball position and add more side bend and just maintain that angle through impact. And then there's other guys that they do not want to change anything in their swing whatsoever. And they will rely heavily upon us to kind of modify the equipment to accommodate the condition. So if you have an environment that is firm and fast versus you know, soft or windy or whatever the case may be, 
and player doesn't want to make any dynamic changes with motion or swing, then it's, it's all on us to make changes with a gear and modify equipment. So whether that be adding or subtracting loft, moving weight, making a shaft change, you know, maybe taking their current gamer shaft and tipping it out a little bit, a lot of opportunity to kind of fine tune and tweak gear depending upon environmental influences. How many, um, how many players will switch week to week like that? Or, or is that, you know, more uncommon unless you're, you're saying going over to the open or, or something like that? Again, it's kind of player dependent. I mean, you'll see guys that swap out wedges. I mean, every single round just to take fresh Mm. grooves. Then you'll also see guys that will modify bounce and grind week to week, depending upon turf conditions. And I mean, drivers, you don't see as much modification could be a setting change. But there are guys out there that'll that'll swap gear out. I mean, literally weekly, depending upon what the uh, what the turf conditions are and what the environment's given them. Interesting. So it's, it's just player dependent, and uh, like I said, some guys are so in tune with their swing that I mean, they will make dynamic changes, t height, ball position. They'll modify statically what it is that they're doing with their body and setup uh, just to control golf ball and ball flight. You know, it's, it's interesting. I'd love, I don't know how you could quantify it, but it'd be really fascinating to quantify uh, players who tinker versus players who don't and where they end up, you know, and, and do the guys who tinker fare better? Or do they fare worse than the guys who just stick with the tried and true? I, I would be really interested in that metric. I, I have no idea where that would fall. RB, you have any input on that? What do you, what would your speculation be? Well, I know that, uh, there's probably gonna be something written about this, uh, this week from Jonathan, cause we were, we were texting back and forth, but you know, Rory's played very well this year and he has basically been a rotating bag of three woods, for example. And I know he's got, I think something else this week in Memphis again. So, um, you know, I think in some cases, some players are, are very easy, like uh, able to swap in clubs uh, quite quickly and not notice a huge difference. Uh, not that I am at the level of any PGA Tour player, but as you can imagine, I have a fairly uh, robust collection of golf clubs. And I would say that my score doesn't fluctuate too much in general. But the other thing is all of those clubs are basically completely dialed in for me, which I think is always kind of the, the most important element of that. And so I mean, you got players like Ryan Palmer who like don't change at all. And then you have other players who are always tinkering. And I think a good example of this, which was, I think a few weeks ago now, close to a month ago was uh, Scott Stallings talking about his iron play and his stats guy was basically like, look, your iron play sucks. And you know, he hasn't really changed too much about his golf clubs as far as specs were concerned, but there was just something about this older set that he had. So as the story goes, he had his, uh, a friend of his or someone go to his house put like three or four sets into a, into a FedEx box. God, they're just getting a bunch of free ads today, <laughs> but, um, and shipped them right over to his house and, or sorry, right to the golf course where he was playing that week, put them in play and had like a top five finish. And it was recorded on the, uh, on the broadcast as well. That, that was the case. So, I mean, I think there's give and take. I, I would find that there was, it's probably almost balances out in like who's performing because at the end of the day, I think the human element is probably the most important thing. And if, if you get confidence from tinkering all the time, or you get confidence from, from basically never changing, uh, that's probably the right way to go for you. And that, that's how I, that's how I would kind of look at it. Um, but, you know, speaking of, of changing and trying gear, one of the things that we saw this week, and Chris, you mentioned it there, actually talking about new grooves and, and players that would switch all the time. I can think of a lot of players that I would say have some notoriety within OEMs and we call them brand switchers a lot. You see them free agency. They, they kind of hop around and we're going to see some of that. I think pretty soon coming out uh, as the, as the FedEx cup season wraps up, I think we're starting to see rather than the contract years go from Jan one, we're starting to see those kick in as the, as the new season kind of starts up and, that to me is, is always the fasting one. You know, we saw Ryan Moore uh, two weeks ago in Detroit kind of messing with some things. I know we had some different irons in play at, at one point in time. And, you know, I think that's almost, I think, more detrimental in some cases because I can remember being at, at PXG and talking to Mike Nicolette and 
at the time Ryan Moore was the very first staffer, he said that they just through like friendly conversations, Ryan was a free agent and they sent him some irons because they liked that he was such a field player. And he obviously has the, the especially the amateur resume to back it up uh, and professional resume. He's been playing on tour for a long time now that his fields were just kind of right there. And that's kind of how he ended up with PXG. But since then, he's obviously gone through a number of different uh, OEMs. So I think that is where we start to see players adjust. And a lot of people worry about John Rahm, I guess, two years ago now, he won the U.S. Open. So I don't think people are too worried anymore. Uh, but that to me is more almost more interesting than like the tinkers is the people that are going to completely do a bag swap, especially if it includes a golf ball. So um, now with that, you know, talking about wedges, we just got, uh, we just talked about, I wrote an article on for golf.com about the, the new high toe three wedges. So with that in mind, I wanted to, to throw it to you guys, especially Chris, from a fitting perspective and, you know, from a sales perspective, I don't work on that side at all. How popular is the high toe series and high toe wedges in general compared to the, uh, like the standard kind of style wedges that we would see, especially into the higher ones. Cause I think that's where you really see this design kind of take hold. Yeah, you, you definitely, from a fitting perspective, see the benefit and also kind of the market trend towards the higher lofted high toes being the most popular options. So the the advantage of having the groove technology all the way out to and through the, the toe section and all the way up the wedge, I mean, really gives you an opportunity to manipulate that blade and play a variety of different shots. Also, for those of us that uh, aren't necessarily the best wedge players in the world and have a tendency to hit them high on the face or maybe a little out towards the toe where you would sometimes get in trouble with a traditional style wedge that high toe definitely, uh, definitely helps maintain a little bit more of a spin consistency on maybe not the most solid pitch or chip or even a full swing wedge shot. So we're definitely seeing a trend with that, uh, that high toe design in the higher lofted wedges. They are incorporating a couple of different options with the high toe three, so I'm, I'm curious to see how it's received and if we'll continue to see that trend or if it starts to kind of creep its way into some of the other loft options as well. Do you see a, um, when you're doing a fitting with those high toe, do you see more of a boring trajectory, kind of a lower spin rate coming off of those or do, um, do you see any difference in, in spin? So I would say for spin, I mean, the spin consistency across the wedge is more consistent than I would say with a traditional style wedge, just because there are so many grooves. Um, but as far as the trajectory goes, I would definitely put it into that mid to mid-low category. It's not a not a high launching wedge by any means. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, it's interesting as, as Ryan brought it up, I was thinking, this would make a good test for golf.com to, uh, to, you know, do a nine point test on a um, traditional and a um, high toe, just to see what the, the launch and spin characteristics and the trajectory were from both the full swing and like a half wedge type thing. Oh, definitely. That would be, uh, that'd be pretty interesting to see how a, a traditional style wedge towards those toe shots uh, performs compared to, like a raw full face high toe. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it just stands to reason you've got more mass out there. So it, it should give you, you know, much more forgiveness there. But what I'm curious about is the trajectory and the, and the spin rate and kind of the peak height, if there's any difference there as well. One of the things I'm going to, I'm going to measure because uh, I like to pull things apart when I get them is uh, when I pull the heads off, I'm going to put them on my little balancer. So I'm going to mark the, the CG representation on the club face when, they, when I do pull those apart. Having done that in the past, I think the, the one thing that people always kind of get surprised of is like, oh, it's, you know, it's, it's still lower or middle of the, <clears throat> of the face, like pretty close to relative to the hosel where traditional wedge uh, center gravity representation would be when you put those little dots on. Um, but what it what really matters is the fact that like yes it's of course it's going to be centered like every golf club is centered i always find that's like the the almost redundant part of the conversation when you hear talk of like new irons coming it's like oh we centered the mass using this it's like you've been centering the mass for 20 years guys like that's the whole point that's your job if you're not doing that you're doing something very wrong you're just right. figuring out different ways to talk about it or different ways to do it 
um, which is always a talking point, but you know, it is what it is when it comes even like you know, race cars or whatever, like it's a little bit faster. It's a little more stable, all these kind of things like that is part of the conversation, but it doesn't mean just because the mass is rel- like the, the center of gravity uh, relative to the club face is in the same spot. Doesn't mean that it's not more forgiving on the heel and toe because you can have a, say a, um, say a tennis ball or a basketball, right? A basketball and a Frisbee. If you're just looking down at them in a 2d shape, right? The, the basketball is obviously a lot higher, but you know, the center of gravity centered it. If you look at a Frisbee from the top down view, it still looks like a circle and the center of gravity is, uh, still right in the middle, but the mass positioning is very different of those two, right? Around different axes. So you spin up and down, you, you tilt the frizzy one way or the other doesn't have a lot of stability around when it's actually spinning. It has a lot of stability, right? So you, you have this different way of looking at a wedge. So when you have the high toe and there is more mass out on the higher section of the toe, you know, the, the very good naming there, branding experts is, uh, you're going to see that more, hopefully to your point, Gene, a more boring trajectory when someone hits it higher on the face because there's more mass up there. There's going to be more energy transfer and you're not going to see those like floaty shots that when you do open the club face up, or even when you're hitting uh, a club, a shot that's de-lofted and you might be a steeper player, just like a, a deeper face fairwood might help that golfer. That deeper face wedge is going to help the golfer. That's going to still get the the boring trajectory or more boring trajectory, but the, the higher spin. And I think, that's kind of one of the unseen benefits. They don't really talk too much about. It's always like opening up the face and getting that mass when, when you don't have a lot of face represented into the ball, but when you're steeper into it and you've got that slightly wider sole compared to some of the, something like the MG three or similar designs that you're going to get that opportunity to flight it lower, but with more spin, which is how distance control is gained compared to, you know, an iron or something like that. But yeah, uh, that, yeah. uh, that floater wedge shot that you're talking about, I had never experienced uh, grass like I experienced down in Hawaii and how the ball sits in that turf. I had more of those little, as you described it, kind of floater wedges than I've ever had in my life. And I was really wishing at the time that I had that high toe wedge in the bag as man, uh, so many false fronts, so many shots coming up just short. And then next thing, you know, they're rolling 30 yards back down in the fairway and get to play it all over again. For a guy that was there for work, you seem to have played a lot of golf. <laughs> now, I, I got to tell you, that's, the, uh, that's, that's, his, that's his job, RB. I Don't know it's criticize. like my, I go to the range. <laughs> the uh, the playing of golf was uh, was requested for a video series that I'm doing, so that was part of the work assignment. Very good. Just just for the record, for the, we want we want to make sure that we put that on the record. There, I know yeah. it's similar to uh, you know I had those wedges I was just talking about, and I was I went to the range yesterday to actually experience using them, which to me was you know important because if someone's going to ask me questions about them or I'm going to actually write about them, I want to be able to have that firsthand experience about talking, say about the certain types of shots that I've hit. Cause I, I got bags of wedges that I've gone through and tested and there's ones that I like, and there's ones that I will put down and I will not like immediately. Yep. Um, the, the wedge, the other than the, the very high lofted wedge, I thought was pretty cool. You know, it's not as I've used the ES before from Mizuno, which is more a little bit more traditional shape, but still has that that higher ma- center of gravity, higher mass, more mass out on the toe, being a hollow wedge, which at the time I thought was uh, very interesting. The wedge that I was actually impressed with was the 52, was the gap wedge and the high toe, was to be able to hit that particular shot. That uh, I for me, it's like a hundred and hundred and five yard kind of little low draw spinner shot. Um, in my head, I don't hit it perfectly every time, but that that's kind of the goal when I'm thinking about it. And that is where, um, I think these wedges for someone who wants a little bit of extra forgiveness, it's going to excel and, and people don't always, they just immediately gravitate towards the the higher lofted wedges, but because they come all the way from a, I believe a 50, 52, yeah, 50, 52. And they go in the even lofts all the way th- uh, through the bag that that is a way to benefit coming from your pitching wedge if you are using that shot around the green a lot or you know into greens a lot which you know doesn't get talked too much about because it's all about short game short game but the approach shots are just as important because if you can shrink your dispersion you're going to hopefully lower your scores as well um okay so next up on the docket and this is 
I think it's more of just a general, it's almost, I want to say it's like a fashion conversation, but the, the new jet set putters from Scotty Cameron, we've got plus models. So they're, they're not quite the, the full square back. So they're in between the, the kind of traditional Newport and Newport two, which are like the traditional blade styles. Uh, and then we also have, like I said, the plus models, which feature uh, an aluminum sole plate. So they've, they've improved the MOI by pushing the mass towards the heel and toe uh, with the weights that you, we, we see that basically stock in all Scotty Cameron special select putters now. But the looks is, is kind of the one thing that I think is always unique. And, you know, maybe this is, this is less of a, a, a very specific brand conversation, but the one thing that's unique with the jet set Newport is, and it's just on the Newport is the top line alignment. So it's not on the flange, which is in the back kind of cavity. It's actually on the top, similar to what something, someone like Jordan Spieth uses. Do you find players align better with one or the other? Chris, when you're doing fittings, I talked to the guys at, at ping on the van one day and they said, one guy was like, you know, dots are pretty popular because of, of title or um, because of tiger. But to be honest, like I'm not an idiot and I know where the center of my putter face is <laughs> like, but some players like the little alignment. Some players like the long alignment. Do you find during a fitting process that it's quantifiable to someone lining up? I mean, when it comes to optics on a putter, visual perception and whatever your objectives are as a fitter, you can change shape, you can change optics to kind of accomplish your goals or objectives when it comes to squaring the club face at impact and also ideally dialing in delivery patterns as you come back through, uh, through impact. So, I mean, if you're looking for essentially somebody to take loft off of the putter, moving the optic as close to the leading edge as possible is usually a tactic that we'll go with versus somebody that has a lot of forward shaft lean or incorporates a big forward press. We may take the optic and pull it away from the leading edge. Uh, we'll do the same thing with shapes. If it comes to somebody that misses right versus left or left versus right, we'll change shape and optic. Um, so Optics really come down to visual perception of player and then also dynamically how they're delivering that putter through impact uh, when it comes to their putting stroke. So I will play with optics. I will play with shape. I will play with weight. Uh, I mean, even get into shape and size of grip all in an effort to control consistency of club face. See, this is, this is where I find the, like I get when I have both of you guys like talking about this, there is this very different, um, element, which is the human element of, of testing and how everyone kind of changes their delivery because a robot doesn't really care what, what is aligning. It does it, gene, as long as you align it in the right way, it doesn't really matter. hundred percent alignment is, and, and, you know, to Chris's point, it was fascinating. I was just, I, I just happened to go on the Odyssey site and for one of their models, I think they have seven or eight different optical alignments for the same model. And it just shows you that there, it, there is no one size fits all. And for some people, they like the idea of the golf ball, you know, from the two ball they had. Others like the uh, Werner Acuity system that was, that was set up. But there, everybody is, is, uh, is, you know, kind of, uh, unique in that. And I think that's what makes, I think that's what makes the game so interesting to be totally honest with you is, um, that, you know, our eyes are not the same and that, um, we, we look at, um, and I think, so Chris is, is any of it a function of, um, kind of how you're setting up over the putter is it kind of a left eye, right eye, center type thing? Have you noticed anything like trends as far as that? Or is it just completely between the two ears, what someone feels comfortable with? I mean, there's definitely generalities. So, I mean, if you look at, again, just the, the generalities like we were talking about when it comes to the, the optics of a putter. So, like we were saying, if the optics are trending towards the leading edge that is usually helping somebody take loft off of the putter as it comes through impact versus optics that are trending towards the trailing edge or behind that top line uh, that will sometimes help stabilize the face, hold it open a little longer, maybe add a little bit of dynamic loft as you come through impact. Um, 
And when it comes to shaping, like shapes that lend themselves to be more square have a tendency to be more left biased for a right-handed player. And more rounded shapes will have a tendency to be more right biased for a right-handed player. So it just kind of mm. depends how you visually perceive things and also matching the optics package, the shape of the putter, length of the putter, weight of the putter, uh, the neck that you put on the putter and the grip shape and size to all complement how it is that player naturally wants to set up their stroke type and also their release pattern coming back through impact. So there's a variety of different variables that we're going to test during a putter fitting to check the boxes for me numerically, but taking into account that human element that you can't necessarily account for and check the boxes for player of look good, sound good, feel good. So that's why I will tell players that if you find a fairway wood that works really well and you don't have any complaints about it, don't change it. And if you have a putter that you don't have any complaints about and works really well, don't change it. So RB, you kind of mentioned Rory going through uh, musical chairs with, with three woods right now. And I mean, that is a club category that is just tough to fit for a lot of players. Yeah, I know, I know I've been I've kind of been messing around a lot. I know the current one that I have is a couple models old now, but I'm using like an eight-year-old shaft in it. I mentioned it last week on the podcast because I went to the range and tried a bunch of different things and just, you know, having shafts with different tips and hosels and had a couple different branded fairy woods, just going through that process to see what works for as far as ball flight and playability and, and kind of which one I screwed up with the, the least was, was really what I was looking for. And for me, I think that was... Now, that's how I dial it in. And as you say, the three wood is uh, you know, one of the hardest to go through. Now, for those listening, um, you know, we are talking about trying golf equipment. And did you know that with Global Golf, it is all about you with their you select, you trade, and you try trade in program where you can trade in your clubs for top dollar to find new and previously used equipment that's going to work best for you. Now, the one thing that we want to let you know when it comes to the you try, you trade in, and you select programs is when you try means you get to try brand new golf clubs and tech for two weeks, where, when, and how you want it, whether it be at the range, on the course, under the circumstances that you normally play under. That gives you the opportunity to test in those environments that you play, which allows you to get more comfortable with the equipment, which I think is always a really cool opportunity. The you trade in program, which also provides you with the easiest way to find get what's next for you by offering the best value on your current equipment and receive credit towards your new products and the you select which gives you personalized recommendations from PGA tour PGA not PGA tour professionals PGA professionals to help you find the best gear for your game i think a lot of PGA tour players are are probably a little busy doing other things uh, but if you want to learn more about this program you can head over to global golf and find out more about the you try you, you trade in and you select programs. All right. Now, speaking of trying and ranges and all this stuff, you know, I, I warned Gene, I might kind of get into this because it's just a personal um, pet peeve of mine when it comes to, to courses. I know you play a lot. You guys both play a lot uh, all over the place. So we're going to dive off of the gear. And, you know, like I said, I'm hopefully not going to rant too, too long on this subject here, but public golf courses. And I'm, I'm saying this while wearing my goat hill, Park T-shirt, which I was uh, was lucky enough to visit quickly while uh, my Titleist for the um, the TR uh, TSR launch with our producer Mark. We were able to go to the golf course really quick. Do you guys care about a dress code on a driving range if it's a public golf course? Because I was told that I shouldn't be wearing a T-shirt and I should be hearing at a public golf course. And the best way I categorized it was: Listen, when I go to a wedding, I wear a tux or I wear a suit. When I go to the beach, I wear a swimsuit. And uh, don't try and tell me that you're a uh, you're a wedding when really you're not even a tailgate. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That, as my kids would say, slay. You just slayed right there. You know, I mean, the bottom line at a muni, as long as you're wearing a shirt, I think you've <laughs> got a victory. So, you know, everything else is, I mean, I don't know. You know, the, the only, the only, yeah, I, I think it's 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 a pure function of how much you charge. You know, if you're less than seventy five bucks, 
who cares if you're over 75 bucks, you know, and then maybe there's, you know, an attitude that comes with and the amenities, maybe if you're over a hundred, 125, then I think that there's, but you know, there's a lot of people that especially now live near courses or on courses. And sometimes they just wear shorts and t-shirts want to go over and beat golf balls for a little bit. And I, I got to weigh in here. I, I would say that the, the stuffiness, the old guard that is requiring a, a collared shirt and your shirt being tucked in on a driving range is, is a little antiquated in my opinion. And I've been fortunate enough to uh, to travel quite a bit and visit a variety of different properties. And some of the most exclusive, nicest, high-end private facilities, I will go and I will see guys in gym shorts and t-shirts out there on the range at their club beating balls. And and I was, uh, I was fortunate enough uh, a couple of years ago to visit uh, Gaza Ranch in Coeur d'Alene. And I mean, there's guys in their board shorts, barefoot, no shirt on that just got off of their boat, come over and hit some shot on the range and then head out on the course to go play and just super casual, relaxed, laid back. And that vibe at that type of club was awesome. So if you want to go and hit balls with a t-shirt on, I mean, who's it hurting? All right. I, that was that was more self validation there for that topic, but I just, I wanted to, and, and I think Chris, you make a good point. I'll, I'll end it on this: is the fact that I think what a lot of places don't realize is, you know, it is a, a, an element of say customer service and kind of knowing your your position. And when you have a lot of new golfers, like there are, and that's really why I, I kind of got annoyed about this was that a lot of these entry level golf courses are places for new golfers. And when we're trying to maintain golfers and keep golfers and keep them engaged. If someone is new and they get told that the first time they go to a driving range, they're probably not likely to go back to that place. So they're going to be pretty discouraged about, oh, I didn't do something right, or it didn't seem very welcoming or appealing. And going back to, you know, literally wearing this Go Hill Hill Park t-shirt, like that is, you know, at this point, I would say it's it's a fairly well-known golf course. It's a public golf course. And you know, they have a reputation as they say, world-class working class and people on the range were wearing flip-flops and all kinds of stuff. And, you know, they understand their position and they're very welcoming. And that's kind of one of the biggest things. And, you know, if you're one of these golf course operators that thinks you're Augusta national charging 35 bucks for 18 holes, you know, sorry, not, not one of my places I want to go. Um, now last but not least, because we do have a, uh, an interview with uh, Spencer Reynolds from Fujikura. Speaking of Fujikura, we're going to dive into some of that uh, towards the end of the show with Jonathan. But uh, Jonathan and I did go to uh, Titleist TPI, the Titleist Performance Institute, recently to go through the new TRS series, including the, the driver and the woods, which we'll be able to share, uh, we'll say shortly. I can't give you an exact timeline yet, uh, but we'll tease it with that. But one of the most popular conversations that I have on Instagram when we do question and answers and, you know, we're starting to do a little bit more with our fully equipped Instagram, uh, using the stories and answering listener questions and uh, answering follower questions there is the OEM versus the, the brand agnostic fitting experience. Now, I can fully vouch for the fact that I've worked in both. I've worked uh, at TXG, which a lot of people are aware of in Toronto. Uh, so they have a couple of locations. I've worked at other uh, companies as well. And I've also worked for OEMs in the past. Uh, full disclosure, uh, I did tech repping for Mizuno and Titleist uh, probably around a decade ago. So with that in mind, I've worked in both. There are benefits to both. But I'm really curious, Chris, from your experience working at TruSpec, do you think that there's any drawback to sticking with specific product? Because I also think that in many ways, the OEMs know their product in and out better than almost anyone. So I think there are benefits to both when you think of the the amount of product and, and clubs and, and testing and all the stuff that's available at a brand agnostic facility. I mean, like you, Ryan, I've had an opportunity to work for OEM specifics and I've worked for a few of them and had an opportunity to kind of see behind the curtain on how a lot of those fitting operations work. And I went out on my own, started my own business and was self-employed and decided to go the brand agnostic route. And I've had a, a fair amount of experience now in the brand agnostic world and now working for TruSpec and having access to more tools and, and toys to play with than I've ever had 
previously, there's definitely an advantage in my mind on the brand agnostic world because you have an opportunity to really focus on fit the player, not the product. So when I was working in a specific you know, linear progression in one OEM, if you know, their particular strike pattern or miss pattern or whatever the case may be just did not uh, correlate to the tendencies and characteristics of the particular product that I was repping at the time, it became you know, a, a series of workarounds to try and make it work the best that it could. So now I have access to a whole arsenal of different products to test and and fit with. So whether it be somebody that misses high, low toe or heel, there is a there's an opportunity to kind of flow between OEMs and find a product that complements that particular strike pattern, miss pattern, and really dial in to what it is that that player does naturally. So I would give the advantage to the brand agnostic approach to where you really have an opportunity to get a mixed bag of product that complements who you are as a player. Now, I think the interesting point of this, and you mentioned it, and we've, we've talked about it in the past ex- experience in this uh, through the club fitting process is there are times and there have been times in the past where a club from a couple of years ago might be something that is, you know, kind of one of those little unicorns that just works for a lot of players. And I can think of examples on tour, like, you know, Jason Duffner's nine, 15, seven wood, which example, like Jimmy just fit a gap in his bag and he's not going to change it. Yep. Or uh, Ricky Fowler used the F nine driver from Cobra for a long period of time. I think Gene, from your, when you do testing, do you ever find that like, you would say that um, again, not being brand specific here, obviously, but the a new model might be something that is uh, equal to the previous product and might say add a little bit of forgiveness or some other like element, but doesn't necessarily create a performance advantage versus the the previous product. And then you know maybe the next year you see a jump, and I think that's where when you go to the the buffet of of brand agnostic, you can just pick whatever's at the top of the list, whatever works for you, right? Well, absolutely, and you know. Um... I think that there are, uh, we'll call them iterative product releases and then, um, uh, you know, kind of seismic or substantial product releases. And so, for example, you know, two that I can think off the top of my head would be jailbreak technology with Callaway. And then after that, you get kind of an iterative approach to that technology and now, um, with the carbon introduction of TaylorMade, that's a pretty substantial jump. And my theory, and this is just a theory for all I know, I could be totally wrong on this and find out in two months when we start testing the new products, but you're probably not going to, you're going to see more of an iterative approach, meaning slight adjustments to the line from TaylorMade for the next two to three years, maybe even longer than that, you know, based on the success of the product. But, you know, from my perspective, I think it comes down to uh, fitting at a uh, OEM specific is just a function of loyalty and trust. I mean, some people love TaylorMade products, so they love Titleist products, so they love Callaway products, and they bought into... um, they bought into the brand. And if you bought into the brand and feel that confident, then yes, you should continue down that path. But if you are looking for objective uh, results across the entirety of equipment, I think that you more than likely have a greater chance of getting fit to your specific swing. Not that it can't be done at an OEM, but it's just simple uh, it's just simple numbers. If you've got, you know, 50 options to choose from versus 10 options to choose from, you're increasing your likelihood that you're going to find that combination that's right for you. But, you know, once again, if, if you're just like, Hey, you know, I'm a ride or die with Callaway, then, you know, then stick with it and find the one that, you know, performs the best with, you know, for you in that brand. I think, I think that's a really good point. Cause I know I, you know, I get a lot of feedback from players who are say, I, you know, I'm, I prefer the shape of this, or I prefer the shape of that. And in that case, I'll say, you know, 
you're going to be more confident using something like that than something else that I might offer you. And I think that's important. That's just as important as making sure that, you know, you get an extra mile per hour of ball speed, depending on whoever the product is or whatever it happens to be. And I think that's, that's a factor. That's part of that human element. Like we talked of in putting, which I think is, uh, is just as important. It's like the, um, what the, I haven't been there in a really long time. It's like the cheesecake factory menu versus like a, a, a menu at like a taco truck or something. It's like, yeah, you got 10 items or you got a thousand items to choose from. Uh, yep. Either way, you can probably find something that you're going to like, but you know, one might give you something that's a little bit different. Well, and, and, you know, from the psychological perspective, it's kind of interesting, you know, we've done a lot of player testing where a, client will come out with say a new driver for example that isn't very well known uh to golfers as a whole and golfers will hit it just as well as their gamer which is you know a brand name product but when you get to the subjective questionnaire would you buy it or not a lot of times they'll say no because they don't trust it and it's really weird it's just it's 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 a it's a psychological matter of they they know what they've got when they go with the major OEMs and I think that's always a struggle with kind of the second tier companies in this industry is a lot of them make really good products but they have they've got some major headwinds in that the consumers just don't know enough about them to feel confident even if they do perform well on a launch monitor when they take it out, it's still that X factor of all of the branding that the major OEMs do really creates a sense of confidence amongst players. I have a a firsthand account of just that gene. Do you guys remember the vertical groove driver? Oh yeah. I tested. So how did it test? Well, I can't go into specifics because they're confidential, but I mean, it worked. It worked. Right. Yeah. It worked. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I was handed this driver and very skeptically was like, okay, I'll hit it. I'll test it. Sure. Why not? And I am characteristically very low launch, low spin, and I hate seeing the ball miss left. So I will miss it 30 yards right of target before I see it overdraw and just completely abandon that product. And this driver performed flawlessly. And I hit it better than my gamer. I hit it better than a lot of other products that I had done recent testing with. And I took it out and I played a few rounds of golf with it. And I, I was kind of for lack of a better description, embarrassed to say how much I liked it <laughs> with my uh, with my playing partners, and everybody was like, "Oh my god, what is that? What's in your bag?" And I'm going, "It's the you know, it's the vertical groove driver," and they're going, "Why would you hit that? That thing? It just it doesn't pass the 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 pretty test." Right. And I absolutely killed this thing, and I got so much shit for it. From my playing partners and and guys that I would go play, like uh, Chris, you're a golf professional. You do this for a living. Uh, why do you have that in your bag? That I reluctantly ended up taking it out of my bag, despite the performance benefits I saw with it, and went back to a club that I hit worse and more inconsistent than that thing, just because of I mean, peer pressure and because it wasn't a. Uh, because it wasn't a brand name marquee product. So That's I've been funny. there. I'm, I'm well, saying it now. It, I was a victim. I, I know. And, <laughs> and you were, it, here's the crazy part. You were a self-aware victim. Most, yep. of, most, of, most of the players that do it aren't even self-aware. They're just like, oh, I just, you know, I don't know this club, but I do know Callaway or TaylorMade or Cobra or Titleist. And so, you know, they don't even realize why they're making the decision that they're making. But, you know, I tell new manufacturers like Vertical Groove, I go, you've got to overcome two things. You've got to, number one, overcome, uh, you know, the all the R&D that's put in to these companies. So you have to have a performance that is equal or better. But I said, number two, you've just got to overcome suspicion of players and, and that lack of trust. And that story you told is a classic example. I mean, it's just 
we're nuts as a whole as golfers because something works and yet you're like, eh, uh, yeah, I can't do it. No, can't do it. You know, can't do it. And it's, it, you know, we talked about it. We talked about it, uh, I think, a few episodes ago about the chipper, you know, the chipper yeah. works and, you know, but chipper works. But you don't want to look like a toolbox with a chipper. So you don't put the chipper in, even though it could, you know, shave a stroke off around. So oh, probably yeah, say I'm, more than a stroke. <laughs> we we all have egos and you know and reputations to uphold and whatever. And you know, that's that's part of the game. And the, the chipper belongs in my bag. My short game is terrible, but like you said, I equate chipper with 14, you know, divider way, giant cart bag with an umbrella <laughs> in the middle of the desert, iron covers, uh, just the whole thing, whole thing. Will my ego let me do it? Probably not. Does my, does my handicap index uh, ask for it? Oh, it does. It definitely does. So, so with that, I think that's a good, that's a good place to call it. If you know, if you're looking for a chipper or you're looking for some new wedges, uh, you know, we're always here to hopefully take some of the ego talk out of it. But uh, now before we get to our uh, guys, always great conversation uh, this week. Um, but before we turn it over to Jonathan with uh, the conversation with Spencer Reynolds, we want to let you we want to let you know that uh, Fully Equipped is also brought to you by Fairway Jockey. Now, we always talk about, especially here, a lot about custom golf clubs. And people are often asking us, where is the best place to buy custom clubs from? You know, you, you can you could get them, but a lot of times, where are you actually going to buy these things and get them delivered to you? And one of the easiest answers of that to find the lowest prices on custom-built clubs is at fairwayjockey.com. Do your homework. No one is going to beat their prices, and you'll save up to 15% when we are talking about some of the biggest ticket purchases that are going into your bag. Now, those 15% adds up to big savings throughout all of your equipment. And remember, you can build your own custom set today at fairwayjockey.com. Thanks for the conversation, guys. And as of now, we're going to turn it over to Jonathan's conversation with Spencer Reynolds from Fujikura. All right, well, one of the most popular shafts on tour and in the marketplace has finally gotten a makeover. You know what we got to do? We got to talk to the man who knows what's going on. That would be product and brand manager for Fujikura, Spencer Reynolds. Spencer, what's up, man? How are you? What's up, Mr. Wall? Happy Friday. Happy Friday. I know. Very happy because I got a package on my doorstep. Yeah. That's always some, a good day, right? Very, very good day. A very good day, but even more so because it is the new Fujikura Ventus TR. So you initially rolled out the blue profile we did and now you are extending it with the black and the red and for people out there that know ventus they're going all right i i know i know these profiles what's different so let's start from the beginning ventus was a highly successful shaft especially out on tour and also in the marketplace pretty much from the jump what, what do you do when you have a product that's that successful? Is it is there some trepidation with trying to to improve upon a product <laughs> like that? Where do you start when you're trying to do the next version of Ventus? Uh, you know, I, I made the joke um, a few times back in uh, February when we launched TR Blue, and, and the question with everybody was, all right, you know, how do you take one of the most successful shafts in the company's history? And improve upon that. And the the inside joke is you kind of look at each other and go, that's a great question. And so <laughs> you know, it's it's you're totally right. It's a little bit of a balancing act because uh we're very we're very innovative at Fujikura. It's something that's a, a big part of our company mantra. And so we don't want to get you know set on just one product. So we do want to continually innovate. And so I would say really where TR was born, it was kind of a three-step process. So so the first part of that was we basically solicited feedback from tour, right? So we said we have these really successful profiles, blue, black, and red. And we go out to the best players in the world and coaches and we say, all right, if there's anything we could tweak, if there's anything we could change, what would it be, right? And we take that feedback. And, and the second part of that is we do the same thing with our charter dealer network, our trusted fitters, our trusted testers here in the office. And we say, all right, same question. If we could make this a little bit better, we could change some things, what would it be? And the last piece of that is really kind of where it all comes together. And that's where we utilize this room that I'm sitting in right now. We utilize Enzo Analytics. And we're going to get to that. 
we're going to get to that, right? So, so we can take these suggestions or feedback that we get, and we can literally run those scenarios through Enzo Analytics. And we've done, you know, tens of thousands of combinations of different bin profiles and different stiffnesses and torques and all these wonderful things. And we can say, all right, if we tried this, this is kind of what would come out. And that's really where TR was born from. So um, one thing that Enzo showed us big time was that a shaft takes on a lot of stress during the transition and the downswing. And specifically, it does it in sort of that mid-handle section. So we call it mid-handle, but it's it's the upper part of the mid-lower part of the handle section. And we found that at all ball speeds, that's really where a shaft can take on a lot of of bend and a lot of unnecessary twist. And that was kind of the catalyst to innovate. Well, how can we reinforce that section? How can we reduce that as best we possibly can? And the easy answer is, we'll just throw some material on there. But that's not really how it works because then we're messing with swing weight. We're messing with performance characteristics. We're doing a bunch of things we don't want to do. And that leads us down you know, innovation rabbit holes of, well, what's some material we can use? What, what can we do? How do we solve this problem? And that's really where we started to integrate that spread toe carbon fabric. And that was really kind of the, the technological enhancement of initially TR blue and now into TR black and red. But we did find that our VeloCore technology platform is still the most stable platform we can utilize. Uh, we find that it really increases MOI, consistency, stability, all those things. So I think what's cool about the, the TR line is it, it marries well with the original Ventus line. It's not trying to replace anything. Essentially, what we did was we took a really outstanding product and we tweaked it and we enhanced it that much more. So to your initial question, had we tried to tear everything down and start over, I'm not sure what the end result would have been. Uh, but we're really happy with the direction we've gone where we're not trying to replace Ventus. We're really just trying to get as many options as we possibly can, as long as they all make sense. And yeah. uh, and they're doing their job, which is great. So explain spread toe to me like I'm a five-year-old. Because here's the <laughs> here's the thing, and I'm, I'm being serious, because here's the one thing that I hear from, from weekend golfers whenever they're looking at new shafts is the terminology scares them. Because yeah. they don't really know what's going on. It's, it's difficult to decipher, you know, which profile's best for me. And you and I could talk about, you know, the importance of getting fit for your, for your shaft, especially sure. with, with one like the Ventus TR with three different profiles, but kind of talk to me about this. Cause this spread toe is a very important piece of this shaft. It is. How does it work? And, and again, explain it as, as simply as you can. <laughs> so you're essentially, you're essentially taking carbon fiber strands. And you're putting them kind of in these flat tape-like patterns and you're weaving them over and over to kind of make like a checkerboard pattern. That's essentially what it does. And when you have that type of construction, it leaves very little spots for resin to pool. So you get ultra high carbon fabric content. And then on top of that, you create a really strong platform. So that interwoven sort of diamond checkerboard pattern allows that fabric, that carbon fabric to take stress and load in a lot of different directions. But the best thing it does in addition to being ultra strong, is it's ultra lightweight. And so that's how we're able to incorporate that fabric into the shaft without affecting overall swing weight too much, without creating weird balance points. So it achieves that stiffness that we need just inherently through the construction of the material without adding excess weight. So when we kind of find that perfect recipe of we're attacking the problem we want to attack and we're not sacrificing anything else, that's where these spread toe carbon fabrics and fabric glass and all these really exciting things that are happening in composite materials. To your point, I live and breathe this stuff every day. And half the conversations I have with our VP of engineering is exactly what you said. Like, all right, time out, slow it down. Yep. Help me understand. Right. So I, yeah. I get it. Um, and that's one thing that we have to be conscious of in the shaft world is a lot of our world revolves around kind of these cool new materials but uh, one thing we've been very conscious about in all of our products, and especially with Ventus, is not only just the materials cool, but what is the player benefit of integrating that material? And so I think it's a great question. Um, I hope that was not too over the top. Was that relatively? You did a nice mainstream? job. I gotta okay. Say, all right, cool. You, I, cool. I, give you, I give you an A for, an a for effort. It's difficult. <laughs> I know that it is because you guys talk about this and you're like, well, of course I, I know what that is. But to be able to simplify it, I think you did a nice job. All right. Cool. Good. Enzo. Enzo. I, w- I want to know, well, I don't want to know because a lot of people don't know what's going on behind the scenes at, at Fujikura. Right. How do you guys develop these products? And as you mentioned, you're sitting in a room that I, yeah. I would contend gives you all an edge over your competitors. 
when it comes to developing shafts, getting feedback on products during the prototyping process. What's Enzo? Why does it give Fujikura an edge? And how are you using it during the prototyping process of a shaft like Ventus TR? Yeah, so it's a it's a tin motion capture camera system. It's all proprietary to us. Um, and essentially what we're doing is through a series of sensors on the shaft and on the club head itself, we are tracking exactly what happens to a golf shaft throughout the entire swing. So that is backswing, transition, downswing, through impact, and after impact. And what that does is we're really just mining data at thousands of frames per second to truly understand what we cannot see with the naked eye and what players can sometimes feel. And that's one of the cool things about Enzo is you'll have a player say, "Ah, I hit this shaft, it just feels a little soft in the middle. Now we can't see that, what the player's feeling, but we can run that through Enzo and we can slow down those analytics and say, yep, this is where that shaft starts to bend. It bends a little bit too early for you. It bends a little bit too late for you. But what it really does is give us these thousands upon thousands. I mean, a lot. We're going on 10 years now worth of data points about how a shaft actually behaves when you change properties of the shaft. So if we make certain sections of the shaft stiffer or softer, or lower torque, higher torque, and then we can actually marry that up with different swing types and player types as well. And I think you put it well, where I think it gives us a really cool advantage is when we get to the prototyping phase, we don't have to make a bunch of iterations and just hope one of them works. We know that based on what we see and what we design, that we're going to get there really quickly out of the gate. So we'll make some tweaks and some changes, but we completely eliminate that need to make 15 different prototype shafts just to see what they do. We can hone in on two or three and we plug that into Enzo Analytics and it checks out and we know we're on the right track. So it's smarter, it's, it's, not harder. Exactly. It makes things a lot more efficient. Um, and we learn from everything too, right? So if we do a prototype version that doesn't check out or doesn't do exactly what we want it to do, we still have the data from that process. So it's just one more check mark for future iterations. So it's a very exciting time for us at Fujikura from the development side. Um, we're really doing some innovative things, uh, some next generation things. We've got really cool stuff coming down the pipeline. I know everybody says that. I'm not that I'm not allowed to talk about. <laughs> But um, this is kind of the, this is, this is not the start of this process, but I would say it feels like for us, the ball is just really starting to get rolling with what we can do. And, you know, when we, we see the validation of a product like Ventus and Ventus TR, I mean, we're psyched for the future, big time. So let's talk to the average golfer out there who's looking at these three profiles and wondering which one is best for them. Go down the three, the blue the black and the red and just kind of give a brief overview of what are the differences. If a golfer were to go out and hit all three, who's going to benefit from, from each one of those profiles? Yeah, we can start on the high end. So red would be in the Ventus families. They're sort of the highest launching and highest spinning. I wouldn't call it a high launch, high spin. I would just say related to the other products. Hmm. It's going to be softer in the midsection of the tip section. And that's actually going to give a, a little bit easier launch, kind of kick the ball up in the air a little bit better. Blue is kind of right in the middle. It's kind of a mid-launch profile, a little softer in the handle section. It's great for players that have a smooth transition. They don't have to, they're not super aggressive towards the ball, but it's really stout in the tips section. So you get a tremendous amount of stability through impact. And that's a kind of mid-launch, low spin option. And then the black would just be the other end of the spectrum. That's your lowest launching, lowest spinning profile. Stiff in the midsection, very stiff in the tip and handle sections. So really what that does is it just marries up with both, you know, number one, what kind of ball flight do players want to see, but number two, swing characteristics as well. You know, how fast is your transition? Are you aggressive into the ball? Are you a little bit smoother swinger? You have a short, compact swing, longer, smoother swing. And so I would say the launch and spin characteristics are definitely some key features that you can hone in on and kind of dial yourself in. And but, but this is something we preach all the time and really believe in. You just got to get fit. I mean, you can hone yourself in on the profile you think you'd like, but you can really get out there and see what they do to get the ultimate amount of benefit. Let's talk about the success of, of Ventus as it relates to tour. I mean, you, you obviously have high expectations for products that head out to tour, but have you, have you all internally been just blown away by how good Ventus has been? I mean, it's, like week in, week out, you see some of the best players in the world using a Ventus product. I mean, d- did it surprise you? Did you expect for it to be this hot out on tour? 
Ah, that's a tough question. So here's what I would say. We're never surprised when a product that we firmly believe in does really, really well. However, would we have sat in a room and say, this is going to be an absolute behemoth over the next five years? Optimistically, we would say, yeah, I think we'll do well, but I think you're right. It's a very special product. And we're very, I would say, proud and humbled by the fact that that's been so widely adopted. We feel like you know, that, that, that's our biggest testament to the tour and to amateurs alike is that kind of adoption rate. And I think the cool story that that really tells is the longevity of it. You know, this has been going on for years now. So what that shows us is the product continually performs for more and more players. And it's not just in play because it's new. It just continually gets adopted and grows because the performance benefits are there. And I think that's what we're most proud of. We love being number one on tour. We love seeing that every week. But, you know, just the momentum of like, wow, we've got a product that really continually performs and makes players better. I mean, that's that's where we get a lot of pride in too, for sure. I got to, and I know you guys can't talk about this because you don't have sponsored deals with the players, but does seeing a guy like a certain 15-time major winner and another multi-time <laughs> major winner out on the range talking about your product, one of them might be Big Cat. I mean, that, that's got to be like a pinch me moment for a company. To see to see two two guys that definitely move yeah, in the gear talking I mean, about really, your, talking about your shaft. I really wish I knew what you were talking about. I really have uh-huh. zero reference. <laughs> I have zero reference point for this conversation. Uh, <laughs> yes, uh, yeah. it is a very it, it's it's a pinch yeah. me moment. Um, yeah, it's got to be. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll just that's a great it's it's a pinch me moment. It's a cool moment. There's uh, there's some high fives in the office when that one happens. Yeah, Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy. I can say it. <laughs> yeah, Cough, getting, over here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> getting getting tiger into the into the Ventus Black Shaft is a it's a pretty big deal. Um, all right, so let's talk about how tour relates to success in the marketplace. You know, some people w- contend that what's played on tour it doesn't really matter what the guys on tour are playing because you know those are the best players in the world and you know, nobody's going to be playing the stuff that they're going to be playing. But have you, have you seen a correlation there success on tour with drawing all eyeballs to your product in the market yeah. and yeah. seeing increase I, I in think, sales? I think absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think it's just a pillar of what we do. One thing that um, I think Fuji Curtis has an incredible team across the board from our tour department, our tour team is awesome. And that's all global tours, juniors and amateurs. Those guys just do a phenomenal job taking care of up and coming players and current players. Our sales team is is so awesome. They have great relationships with all of our dealers. And so it's really just a full team effort that I do definitely think that sales are boosted by by tour adoption and, and seeing shafts on you know TV every weekend. They're gonna call up and they're gonna they're gonna inquire. But I think that's that's where I'm certainly super proud of our teams that they can they can field those calls and and you know speak intelligently about the product and speak about product features that relate to everybody, not just tour players. So yeah, I think it does an excellent job of building interest. And it goes back to what I said before, it sticks, you know, because the product's really good. So I think it absolutely increases awareness. There's no doubt about it. But the fact that we see it stay in so many amateurs' bags, it just proves to us that we've got something really special. So is this is TR going to replace the original Ventus? Is it going to be a complement to it, or just a more stable product? I mean, Typically, when you see new shafts come out with the same name, everybody just assumes that the old one is is sort of going away. Is what's kind of the plan for the for the OG Ventus and now the TR version? Yeah, the plan is for them to live together and just a six part family. Um, so uh, again, with the success of Ventus, um, we definitely don't want to do anything to to disrupt that. We want to improve. We want to innovate. But what we've done that's really unique with these three new profiles is we've essentially created a new blue, a new red, a new black. And they, they sort of mimic in some ways the feel and profiles of the original Ventus Blue, Red, and Black. But with that integration of the spread to material, what we've done on each TR is you have a lower launching, lower spinning, and a little bit stiffer version of the original. So they all kind of fit in between themselves, so to speak. So you run the gambit of the original Red, which would be the softest, all the way to the TR Black, which would be the lowest of the low, right? Low launch, low spin. And for us because we're so passionate about fitting, we've got a lot of Ventus options and they can fit a wider range of players. And so for us, it's just, 
It's just three more chances to capture that many more golfers and make that many more golfers better. And that's the mission. So maybe I'm the only one who's totally interested in this and it's probably because I'm a gear sicko, but you're probably not the only one. (laughs) Maybe the people listening to this podcast actually are curious about this too, but right. When you have a product like Ventus and you see the success of it, how soon after that product is out in the marketplace and out on tour, do you start talking about what's next? Uh, We're kicking around things all the time. I mean, and that is one cool thing about Fujikura is that we are always in a state of innovation. Um, we, uh, we're very particular about products that we come to market with and, and we, we test and we, we vent them out um, before they ever hit, hit the shelves or the tour vans for that matter. Uh, but yeah, you know, as soon as something's really good, it's kind of like, all right, well, what can we do to make it better? What can we change? What can we do for next time? You know, sometimes it's, you know, especially even with TR, I mean, that's a tall order. You've just got an excellent shaft and it's kind of like, all right, how, we, how are we going to go one step further? You know, how are we going to take this one step further? And that will continue I always say that our hope that is our conversation, right? I hope our product meeting is always, this is really great. How do we do better? I hope our product meetings are never, we need to do something right now, you know? So, and, and that's definitely the, the way we shape our business and that's the trajectory we're on and we're, we're psyched about it. Last question for you, which one of the profiles are you playing at the moment? Well, you know, the benefit of working for a shaft company is you get to try them all. <laughs> but, no, wait, no, hold on. That's, that, that could, that's the blessing and a curse because you yes. have you have access to everything. But We do. <laughs> we do. Um, well, I got to support the new stuff right now. So right now I have TR Red in the driver. I'm, I'm kind of a... I'm kind of a low spin guy, lower launch guy. So I really like it. Uh, resonates well with me. And then I've got uh, Ventus Blue, uh, original in the fairways and in the hybrid. And then I've got, uh, see, I've got MCI wedges and I've got, um, I, I oscillate between our pro series iron shafts and some of our MCI stuff. So that's the curse and the blessing is you just, you know, you play a couple good rounds and you go, I wonder if I could tweak this and make it just a little bit better. So curse and a blessing, but it's a, it's an awesome curse to have. I tell you that. There's a good company man right there. Spencer, it's been fun, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, dude. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Let's chat again soon. Sounds good. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed that interview. And uh, once again, I'd like to say thank you to my co-hosts, Gene and Chris. That was a fun talk today, guys. It was a good time. Always, always fun to get uh, to get engaged with the boys. Nice, nice to have Chris back stateside, even though he's not exactly too excited about it. <laughs> nope, nope. I uh, not gonna lie. Rather be on a beach with a frozen cocktail, but. Instead, I'm hanging out in the desert with uh, with you guys. And if you do want to follow us along, you can uh, check us out at Fully Equipped on Instagram, as well as Fully Equipped on Twitter as well. Thanks, guys. Thank you.